Hello, Cancer friends. My name is Kathy Hannes. I am outside talking to you from my deck. Can you hear the birds? I figured, why not? It's a beautiful day. It's cloudy, but that doesn't mean the sun's not shining somewhere, right? So I'm out on my deck. I'm thinking of all my Cancer friends, hoping everybody's doing okay. If this is the first time you're listening to Hello, Cancer Friends, this is a podcast about people touched by cancer. Whether you're fighting it or you have a loved one that's fighting it, if you know somebody that's lost their life or someone who's who's moved on since they've been diagnosed and are completely cancer-free. If you've been touched by cancer, you know it's hard. But I think that together... We can come together and support each other. I have stage three inoperable pancreatic cancer. And thanks to technology, research, and outstanding medical staff, I'm surviving and I'm thriving. And I'm also very motivated and inspired to bring people together. That's why I'm here. That's what Hello Cancer Friends is all about. I really got lucky. My doctor hooked me up with immunotherapy, and it's changed everything for me. I don't know what my future holds, but right now I'm stable, and it's awesome. It's added months to my life, and I'm pretty pretty excited about that. I know I'm lucky. I'm really lucky. So today... Speaking of lucky, I've met the most wonderful person, and her name is Taylor. I invited Taylor to share her story, and she agreed. And so I have part one of her incredible story. I'm not going to give too much away, and I'm going to hop right to it. So here is my conversation with Taylor. Hello. Hello, Taylor. How are you? Good, good. Lovely to meet you. It's really, really nice to meet you. How are you feeling? Yeah, not too bad. Just a little bit tired, which is pretty normal side effect after the treatment. So, yeah. Well, I really appreciate that you took the time to talk to us today. Yeah, of it course. means a lot. And I've been trying to rally up people who want to share, and I think it really helps for others. I know it helped me. Yeah, I agree. Tell me your story. Yeah, so I um, was 27 when I was diagnosed. Um, I'm turning 29 next month, Um, so it's been a little bit of a journey already. It's been about 18 months. Um, So I was diagnosed in December 2019. Um, And the difficult thing is that I didn't have a lot of, I guess, classic bowel cancer symptoms um, until the last couple of months before I was diagnosed. I had some of the more, I guess, 
vaguer symptoms that are harder to diagnose, like um, extreme fatigue, um, you know, like extreme fatigue could be anything. And, you know, when you're working full-time and you're studying full-time and you're volunteering outside of work and, you know, you've just got a busy life in general, it's very easy to say, well, this is just a normal level of tiredness for me. You know, like how do you actually gauge what extreme fatigue is? Right. Um, But then probably about four months before I was diagnosed, I started having um, abdominal bloating um, and it would get worse as the day went on. And then I started getting pain and at first it started out you know just felt like a bad poo pain you know like oh just I just need to go to the toilet and maybe I'm a little bit constipated so I'll just drink some more water and make sure I have a lot of fiber and and then you know it it would it would be fine but then it got to the point where the pain would make me feel like I wanted to throw up you know like it would make me just so nauseous I just I couldn't, you know, I just couldn't deal with it. I would have a hot water bottle on my stomach and I would just curl up in a ball and just, you know, wait for the pain to pass um, basically. But again, you know, as a woman, you grow up with pain like that, not necessarily to that extent, but, you know, sometimes you have really heavy period and you think, oh, it's just period pain. And the, the the difficulty was is that the pains did seem to get worse when I did have my period, um, which makes sense in hindsight because there's a lot going on in that area of my body. But at the time I was like, oh, it's just a, a heavy period, you know, it's just a bad month. But then when this was going on for about three or four months, I thought, you know, no, this has been going on for too long now. And I had started to notice a pattern, which was that, it did get worse at night time, you know. So the more the day went on, the worse the pain got. So my mother's sister, my auntie, has celiac disease. So I just thought it's probably celiac disease, you know, because I had noticed that the more I ate, the worse the pain got. So I went and saw my GP on a Monday Um I didn't actually have a GP because I'd only been living in Emerald in the town that I was living in at the time for about 10 months. So I just booked an appointment with the first GP that was available. And I was just extremely lucky that the GP that I saw um, was a very lovely Indian doctor. And back in India, she had actually, um, or she was a fertility specialist. So she was very familiar, I guess, with the inner workings of women and women's bodies. So she was on to trying to find out what was wrong with me straight away. So she did an external examination of my abdomen, you know, just pressing around in different spots and saying, does it hurt here? Does it hurt here? And it wasn't until after I was diagnosed that she said to me, when I was doing that physical examination, I could actually feel something there, which turned oh, wow. out to be my tumour 
Um, but she said, you know, I could feel a, a clear, you know, like a clear lump in your abdomen. So the first thing she did was take a full set of bloods, you know, just testing for absolutely everything under the sun. Sure. Um, and she also asked me to go and get a abdominal X-ray and a pelvic ultrasound. So I had that on the Tuesday. Um, it was an internal and external pelvic ultrasound just to try and get it as accurate as possible um, because based on my age and the fact, which is silly, you think 27 is not that old, but in terms of biological childbearing years, mm-hmm. it is actually. Um, so the fact that I was 27 and I had no children and I'd gone through early puberty meant that I was a um, candidate for fibroids, non-cancerous tumours in your uterus. So she thought perhaps it was just a really big fibroid that might need to be removed by surgery. Mm-hmm. But they came back and I did have fibroids, but only really small ones. So definitely not what she was feeling. And the x-ray didn't pick up anything, which was good. I mean, it meant that there was nothing wrong with my bones or anything like super obvious that would be picked sure. up on an x So the blood test came back on the Wednesday and it showed that my kidney and liver markers were just off the charts, which generally is an indicator of something really bad going on. So like an mm-hmm. infection or in my case, cancer. So she then ordered a second lot of blood tests because it also showed that I was severely anemic, which is a classic indicator of bowel cancer because your whether or not you actually know your tumour is constantly bleeding, um, whether or not you're actually passing noticeable blood. Um, sometimes you're just bleeding internally and your body's just kind of absorbing that extra blood, but it is, you know, it is actively bleeding. So she ordered a second lot of blood tests just to look specifically at my um, blood levels, so like my platelets, white bloods, mm-hmm. red bloods, that sort of thing. And she also ordered a, a CT scan. So I had the second lot of bloods taken and they came back um by this point, I think she suspected what was going on because um, they came back like really late on the Friday night, like after work had finished, she said close to midnight and she was actually waiting for those results to come back. And when she saw that they came back and showed that my white blood cells were really low, which is a classic indicator of cancer, she had the surgery call me on the Saturday morning. She wasn't supposed to be working, but she came in specifically to see me and she had the surgery call me and say, can you come in today? You know, the doctor needs to discuss your results with you. And I just thought they were going to tell me I had celiac disease. Honestly, I didn't think that anything bad was going to happen. So I went in and I saw her and she said to me, have you had that CT scan yet? And I said, no, like, It was the 13th of December, the Friday, so the Saturday was the 14th. It was at one of our busiest weeks at work because I work in local government and we were having our annual Christmas lights competition, so we were having to get the mayor to choose the winner. And we'd also had our end-of-year Christmas party on the Friday, so it had just been hectic. I said, no, look, I didn't have a chance. 
And she said, well, I need you to go up to the hospital and I need you to have that CT scan today. And I was just like, okay, sure, no worries. Like, again, I was not worried or concerned or anything. So I went up to the hospital and I'll spare you all the details there because it was a very, very long day. Mm-hmm. But the short part, the short version of the story is, is that um, I had my first CT scan and obviously that picked up the tumour, but they were probably quite shocked by what they saw. Um, so they actually sent me in for a second CT scan which obviously showed the exact same thing. Um, So it was after that second CT scan that the uh, doctor who was on duty in the emergency ward, who was actually a surgeon by trade, so I was probably very lucky in that regard. He came in. At this point I was still in the emergency ward, so just on one of those beds with like a curtain around it and there was a bunch Mm -hmm. of other people in there. And he came in, he saw me and my partner and and he said, look, normally we would not tell people this off a CT scan. We'd send you away for further tests, but it is unmistakable that that you have cancer. There's nothing else that it could be. You have a giant lump in your bowel. Um, it actually looks like it has spread beyond your bowel to you know, your small bowel to your appendix. So, yeah, there's nothing else it could be. You've got cancer. My partner just immediately was just hysterical. His mother was diagnosed with uh, what they were told initially was terminal inflammatory breast cancer about 12 years ago now. Thankfully, very luckily, because she was only given six months to live at the time, she was put onto an experimental uh, chemotherapy trial, which actually saved her life. But I'm sure you can appreciate that, you know, it was very distressing for him to have gone through that with his mother and now be told that his partner had cancer. So he was automatically just, he just broke down. Whereas I I don't know, it was very odd for me. It was kind of like, I just got like this really weird ringing in my ears and it was like I left my body and my brain just took over. And straight away I was like, what are we, okay, what's the next step? What does this mean? Do I have to go and get surgery? I was just straight away like down to business and, um, yeah, it was all very quick from there. Um, obviously, Emerald is quite a, well, I mean, it's got 15,000 people, but they don't do surgery at that hospital unless it's emergency surgery, like someone needs an emergency C-section or something. Mm-hmm. I was flown out um, by the Royal Flying Doctor Service, which is a service we have here in Australia for rural and remote communities where a a plane that is sponsored by the government flown by a pilot and then accompanied by a qualified um, nurse they will actually fly to wherever it's not always an airport sometimes they have to land at people's properties in the middle of nowhere they flew into the emerald airport um, from Mackay which is four and a half hours away um, and picked me up the next day on the Sunday and flew me to the Mackay Airport 
and then I was picked up by ambulance and taken to the Mackay Hospital. A surgeon came and saw me there and said, you know, what were you told at Emerald? And I said, I was told I have bowel cancer. And he said, look, we want to do a colonoscopy and an endoscopy first just to be sure. And at the time I thought that was really silly because I was like, what do you mean to be sure, you know, that's I've got cancer. But now I realise it's because obviously it was a different hospital and, you know, they just wanted to be certain. So I started doing bowel prep straight away, which if anyone's done bowel prep, they know how pleasant that is. Yeah. Yeah. I just pretend it's beer. Go, 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 go. No one I I knew had ever done bowel prep before. I bet. And... You know, no one told me what to expect, like, or anything. And I was all alone, um, you know, because obviously COVID was happening while all of this was going on. So I couldn't have any visitors. And, yeah, so I I did bowel prep straight away. And then at about 3 a.m., because I was just in in the hospital and because I'm through the public system, you know, you can share a room sometimes. Um, and about 3 a.m. they wheeled in this very elderly lady who was obviously quite sick. And I just thought, oh, my Lord, I hope she just goes to sleep because I do not want to be sharing a bathroom with a really old lady when I'm trying to do bowel prep. Like right. this is not going to be fun for either of us. But, yeah, thank goodness she was obviously quite unwell. I mean, thank goodness for me, not for her. Oh, yeah, and, of course. Um, so she, she just went straight to sleep because I was like, I do not want to have to put someone through having to listen to that. Like, uh, so I had the the endoscopy and the colonoscopy on the Monday. After I woke up, the surgeon came and saw me and said, look, your tumor is actually so big that we couldn't complete your colonoscopy. We couldn't fit the camera past the tumor. There's like no space in your bowel. The tumor um, in terms of circumference, the tumor is completely almost completely obstructing your bowel so you you need surgery like ASAP yeah they I prepped for surgery and um they told me it would be the next day and that they didn't know when because it was emergency so they just have to fit me in and the nurses came in and woke me up at about seven to take my daily bloods and to give me my medications and stuff that they had me on no breakfast of course because you have to be fast surgery yeah Yeah. not that breakfast would have been that great because I was already on clear fluids so you know yellow jelly and apple juice is all you got to eat yeah yummy very exciting and nutritious yeah but I remember I had this really lovely nurse she was a English nurse and she was older she was probably in her late 50s or early 60s and she was just really lovely and really maternal And she came in and she said to me, right, we're going to get you in the shower and we're going to wash your hair because if you have surgery today, you are not going to be washing your hair for probably the next two weeks. So I was like, okay, that sounds good. That's so amazing. Aren't the nurses just wonderful? They are. They are. So we went in and her and um, my partner, you know, washed my hair and we were, I, ha- I was literally in, still in the shower and the other nurse came in and said, they're calling for you. They want you to go in for surgery. 
And I was like, oh my goodness. So we quickly got out of the shower and, and threw on a, the, the surgery paper underwear and threw on the gown oh, and I'm on my bed and I'm being wheeled down very, very quickly running. They were running my bed down to the surgical ward and the nurse is running after me with a towel trying to dry my hair because it was just dripping wet because I literally just got out of the shower, didn't even dry oh. myself. Yeah, I went in for surgery. They, you know, they prepped me and they said, look, we have no idea what kind of surgery this is going to be. We don't know if it'll be uh, laparoscopic surgery, so robotic where you just have, you mm-hmm. know, a couple of tiny little cuts or whether it's going to be open surgery. It's probably going to be open because we don't really know fully what we're dealing with because we don't have a complete colonoscopy. That was pretty terrifying <laughs> to I'm be, sure. Oh my you know, God. going going under the counting back from 10 and thinking you don't know what you're gonna see when you wake up. Right. But yeah, so that's pretty that's pretty much it. That's how I was diagnosed in the space of um, you know, so it took six days to, from from the initial investigation to diagnosis and then um, another three days before I was in for surgery. So it was a, a lot to process very quickly. Oh, I'm so sure. I mean, I give you so much credit. I mean, it was probably like ripping off a Band-Aid. It happened so fast. It's like you don't even have time to digest what's happening yeah. or understand. I can only imagine. Well, you are amazing. That is quite a lot to go through. Oh, my gosh. So you wake up from surgery. How did you feel? Oh, just horrendous. Just awful. Like, I I felt like I'd been hit by a, a bus. I'd never been sick before. I'd never been in hospital before. So I'd never had a cannula. So that was an experience when I um, went up for to the Emerald Hospital for my CT scan. As you might probably know, um, most CT scans they like to do with the iodine contrast mm-hmm. so that they can tell the difference between organs and soft tissue and stuff. Well, they need a cannula for that, don't they? <laughs> And so when I got up to the hospital, the, the nurse was like, oh, we're just going to put a cannula in. I had no idea what it was, never heard that word before. So I was like, okay, sure. And then when I saw her pull out a needle, I have a massive phobia of needles. Still oh. do. Still hate needles to this day. Oh. Um, I like nothing there. The veins are yeah. very small, not the best place to put a cannula. So that was a fun experience. And waking up after surgery, I had a cannula in the back of each hand. I had a cannula in the crook of each arm. So four cannulas in total. I have to be honest. I've never heard of a cannula. Is that like, it must be oh, like an, an IV. IV? Yes. Okay. An that's IV. what I thought. Yeah. 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 Oh, they call them cannulas over here in Australia. Nice. I had heard of IVs before, obviously, because watching a lot of TV and movies and yeah, in America, they call them IVs. Right. But yeah, they call them cannulas here. And I was like, what is that? Yeah. Sounds a lot more exciting than IV, I think. (laughs) IV. Yeah. But I also had a um, a urine catheter because obviously I, I, you know, I'd had my abdomen sliced open so I couldn't get up and go to the toilet. I had a oxygen tube in and I also had a nasal gastric tube in because um, I wasn't actually eating. 
Um, so there was a lot going on and I, I just never experienced anything like that before. So it was quite scary. And then, you know, I was all bandaged up, but I could feel that I'd, you know, had had quite a big operation and the surgeon came in and saw me and said, you know, it was an open operation. Your incision was about 11 centimetres. You know, we had to take quite a lot of your bowel. Um, we had to take the whole middle section, the whole right section, and we had to take part of your small bowel as well. We had to take part of your appendix, um, and we also had to take part of your abdominal the lining of your abdominal wall, um, which is also called the peritoneum. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like the fleshy tissue that lines the inside of your abdomen. Um, and we also had to take 73 lymph nodes um, because we have no idea if your cancer has spread and if it has how far it's spread. So we just took a bunch of lymph nodes all the way from your heart down to your pelvis and we'll see how things go. Yeah, it was a lot. That was a lot to take in. What do you do when someone comes in and tells you that? You're kind of just like, okay. Well, there you have it. That's part one of my conversation with Taylor. I can't thank you enough, Taylor. Your bravery and your story, it just blows me away. Thank you. You'll want to take a listen next week as Taylor continues her story. I invite you, come on back. Go to Hello Cancer Friends. Wherever you download your podcast, subscribe. You'll get a notification when the next episode is out. Thanks again, Taylor. And I'm looking forward to next week as well. Well, that wraps up another episode. I'm just loving it. Um... Sometimes the message is hard, the topic is hard, but meeting new people and hearing stories of hope and what people are going through and just offering this forum to let things out, I think it's really great. So I hope you enjoy it as well. And if you'd like to share your story, please do go to my website. HelloCancerFriends.com. There's a place there to share your information with me so I can get in touch. You can just type up your whole story and send it to me. I'll read it on this podcast. You don't have to talk. You don't have to Zoom or do anything. Just type it up. Send me a letter. I'll give you my address. Just let me know. How can I help you? And help me help others. You can do that by sharing this podcast with everyone you know. And I sure appreciate it. I wish you all a very good week. I'll look forward to talking to you again next week. Take good care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.